Hello and welcome to How to Be Happy with Dr. Wendy. Inside of you is an infinitely compassionate and wise being you never knew existed. I'm Dr. Wendy Hill, talking to you from Encinitas, California, where I help people with their personal and spiritual growth through workshops and one-on-one meetings. Let's explore together how to find your true self and to live the life you were meant to live. We will talk about everything from how to heal your inner child and transform your current life, to how to connect with your highest self, and to connect with others in ways that bring joy. My guests will be clients, friends, other professionals, and maybe even you. So I invite you to relax and open your mind and your heart. This is an adventure we all share. My guest today is a second time with Anna Danes, who is a vocalist with a wonderfully inspiring story. She started out in Poland with her parents at 10 years old, escaping from behind the Iron Curtain, going to Sweden, to Canada, finally to the United States. Having been an attorney, married, became a mother, and support to her husband, divorced, and then said, I am going to be a singer. I am going to be a vocalist. And welcome, Anna. Tell us more (laughs) about your story. I'm so glad you're here again. Thank you for having me again. Um, Yes, that's exactly how it happened. I just decided one day I'm going to have music in my life. I really didn't know where it was going to go. To tell the story again, you were in attempting to create a life knowing that your marriage was probably going to end, you um, decided to become a singer, but how you were led to it was just <laughs> wonderful. You, Your seven-year-old daughter, you decided to give her a singing lesson, and she, in third or fourth lesson, decided, no, I don't want to sing anymore, and you didn't want to waste the time and money, so you said, okay, I'll do the lesson, <laughs> exactly. and you felt the music in your body and in your heart, yeah. and you were hooked. I was hooked. And since that time, you have uh, put out two albums. Two albums, The yep. first one, Longing, mm-hmm. and the second one, Find Your Wings. Yes. Which is sitting right here with a beautiful photo of you wearing a very sexy black dress, or <laughs> red dress. So um, you have also infused your story into your performances. And I asked you the question, have you ever been afraid And because I know part of courage is not the lack of fear. Courage is the willingness to persevere in spite of fear. So tell us about what you've been afraid of and how you you dealt with that in in, in the context of creating music. I've been in fear probably most of my life and also in flight growing up in communism. You're always in flight. Always in flight? Yeah, you're fleeing. Yes. You're fleeing from something that's going to get you. Um, Do you still have that feeling today? A little bit behind? A little bit. Mm-hmm. A little it kind of sticks with you. Isn't yes. It? As, yeah. you, as you know, as I mentioned before, I specialize in core beliefs, and core beliefs mm-hmm. are formed very early, and they create emotions that we carry through life. And yeah. you've had a lot of therapy Thank yes. goodness, that's helped you face these fears. Yes, thank goodness yeah. for that therapy. It saved my life, actually. Um, 
But fear, to go back to that subject, that permeates my life every day to this day. I wake up and I ask myself, what am I doing? How is this all going to work out? <laughs> But then you get dressed uh, and you keep going and you have a list of things to do every day and you're on your journey every day. So what you're saying is that you, instead of self-pity, which a lot of people get into when something scary happens, you make plans. Yes. You focus on something other than what it is you fear. Yes. You definitely need a plan or a dream or something to go towards, a light to go towards. You got to have meaning in your life. I don't care what it is. And that's part of the message I'm spreading. I happen to have found music and that gives me the meaning, the, the glue that holds my life together, I guess you could say. Um, but others have other passions, and sometimes they just lay dormant there inside people, unacknowledged for all of their lives sometimes. Or they're in horrible relationships, and they still go through the motions of pretending life is okay instead of doing something about that and fixing it. You see that around you. You see that in other people. All the time, everywhere. Yes. So what makes you different? Ah, good question. I just have this real crazy, I guess, determination and belief in myself. Have you ever been knocked down to your knees? All the time. Just got knocked down by cancer six months ago. I thought you that was the end. You were diagnosed six months ago? I was diagnosed uh, March, so maybe a little more, but... This year? This year, yeah. Mm -hmm. 2018. Mm -hmm. So when that happened, it's the great unknown until you figure out what's really wrong with you and how they're going to fix it. But talk about fear. Oh, my gosh. Tell Especially us with the big C word. You yes, yes. Oh, just the word itself sends shivers down your spine for pretty much everybody on this planet. That's right. But until you educate yourself, that's, that's the feeling. There are many kinds of cancers, there's many grades, there's many treatments, and so knowledge is power when it comes to anything. How did you get educated? How did you educate yourself? I saw as many doctors as I possibly could. I got second and third opinions. I read up on it. I talked to friends, and finally the picture started to come together. Did you read up on it on the internet, or did you go otherwise? I read up a little bit on the internet, but the fear there is that it's information overload and you might go down the, the wrong rabbit hole and end mm -hmm. up in an even worse place with your stress levels. So where did you get uh, your most reading then? The doctors, first of all, because you got to trust them. That's what they do. Um, and then my friends who had gone through this, so personal experience was key. You know, so many women are taught to be, and I'm doing quotes here around this word, nice, Right. that we shouldn't be difficult patients. We shouldn't be difficult people. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't bug the doctor. He knows what he's doing. Did you become a difficult patient in, in that much that you kept asking questions and wanting to know answers, or did you just, were you a nice patient? I was a nice patient with a lot of questions. 
<laughs> so you know that you were respectful and nice and never had an attitude. Right. But asking questions can be seen as difficult. And so I encourage asking questions. You've got to ask questions. It's your life. It's your body. And as much as the doctors are there to help you, they are also, uh, they have their own agendas. They have their own schedule. Um, but they're there working for you. You're paying them. So if it takes an extra 10 minutes of question and answer, so be it. And you are, so this is, this is the right thing to do. And this is not the nice thing to do, but it is the, the right, right thing. thing to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. It's important then, to make that distinction. Yes. And then you go and you get another opinion and another until you're satisfied. Okay, this is the course of action I'm going to take with what I've got. Was there a point in which that fear of that cancer word began to subside and you began to feel more empowered about your treatment? When I had the numbers down, the statistics, uh, when they told me that with what I had, my reoccurrence rate, if I did this, this, and that, would only be around 8%. I can live with 8%. And I knew that what I had was, uh, was highly uh, survivable. So uh, that, that was comforting just to... Yes. To hear that. Does this mean you have to be uh, vigilant throughout your life now, or what is this? Oh, absolutely. The other thing that put my mind at ease is knowing that my cancer had not spread, that it wasn't in my lymph nodes, and that it was fully contained inside my milk ducts. It's breast yeah. cancer, of course. It was a breast cancer, yeah. right? So, what do yeah. you, th you said you had a lot of therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, Louise Hay, who has written so many books, you know who Louise mm -hmm. Hay is, yes. Uh, about um, beliefs and emotions relating to disease and maladies of the body. Have, do you have a sense or a feeling that your cancer may have manifested as a result of certain emotions or traumas in the past? Yes, mm -hmm. I do. I've heard that before. and Do, I do you believe it? So. Do you think that's valid? Yes, I do believe that... A lot of us stuff our feelings down, and the feelings end up being diseases. That is uh, thinking, I think, in other cultures as well. Um, from what I've heard, cancer, breast cancer in particular, has to do with stuffing down your feelings to do with love. It's your heart, which is, which is where my cancer was. It was in the left breast um, I've had a lot of love-related issues in my life, a lot of broken heart syndrome. So when you talked about your mother being very controlling uh, and having to split with your mother about nine, ten years ago, mm -hmm. um, do you think that you, as a child, in order to survive, that maybe you had to cut off your feelings or your connection with your heart in order to survive with someone who's very controlling? Yeah, definitely. I had to stuff a lot of feelings down for many, many years, and I really only came out of my shell when I, quote-unquote, divorced her. Um, that's when all this music happened. It, it's coincidental? Maybe not. Because I was finally free to be myself. The other thing that happened also, um, my first episode of breast cancer was actually two and a half years ago. 
And just two weeks prior to it being discovered, I suffered a massive broken heart in my first post-divorce relationship. Oh my goodness. It all happened at the same time. Uh, so we cleaned up that first one, and then two years later it was back because I didn't seek any treatment the first time. I did not get radiation or anything. You mean you didn't get medical treatment or you got, didn't get uh, emotional? I didn't get any medical treatment. So you continued to have the cancer then? No, so I'll go back a, a one tiny step. I had elective surgery. I had a breast lift and a reduction. And in the tissue they took out, they found the cancer cells. I see. So it was contained. It was contained. Mm -hmm. And it hadn't gone anywhere else. I had all the tests done. So I decided two and a half years ago, well, I think I'm fine. It went so away. <laughs> they had, did they say, well, you should have chemo or radiation or something? Yes. They did tell me then that I should have radiation and I should go on cancer drugs like tamoxifen. But I thought I was okay. Okay. And they knew what they were talking about, because so, it came back. So back to uh, the broken heart. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, when, when I hear you talk about your mother being uh, controlling and overpowering and being raised in an oppressive country behind the Iron Curtain in Poland, uh, I think also of a broken heart, that a creative, alive, passionate girl, now woman, was repressed and the more passionate more creative the more feeling uh, a person is the more devastation can happen to that psyche and if it isn't allowed to be expressed or even recognized because we can live so many years being repressed that we don't realize mm -hmm. it becomes a habit it becomes and a habit. we don't realize how much is inside of us how much passion and love and feeling that those feelings, an expression of feeling, can be repressed so deeply yeah. that over time it can create perhaps the potential for cancer. Absolutely. And then what happened was I also married my mother. Yes. My we do husband that. was extremely do domineering. Um, and a, a lot of machismo, too. Mm -hmm. So that was hard as well. Yeah, and so all those repressed feelings for 40-some years, no wonder I got sick. But boy, was I lucky that we caught it so early, and that essentially vanity saved my life. So I was fa following my path, because I, I like looking good, and I like presenting myself a certain way. And that was also coming out of hiding, that I like dressing up, I like singing, I like sparkly things, so there. <laughs> so for, so my listeners know what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a beautiful, curvage, curvaceous, gorgeous figure woman with beautiful complexion, long blonde hair, and a beautiful smile and eyes, <laughs> and so that you can see her also. That And there, uh, for those of, of you who like to dress up and like to look good, give yourself full permission Yes. It is fun. It's just another way of having fun yeah. is dressing up and looking good. Absolutely. So, Makes yay. you feel good on the inside. Yes. Uh, that's what I found. And coincidentally, when I was married and in that other oppressed relationship, I did not look anything like I do now. I was pretty much in cargo pants and some baggy sweatshirts. 
Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so, you know, I was watching a program on the news the other day, and it's about um, a gentleman who started a nonprofit for addiction. And his whole thing is if you stay in shape, if you exercise, that there's something about exercise that gives you a sense of self-esteem. Yeah. Do, do you infuse exercise in your life as well? 100%. It, is, it has to be a part of your lifestyle. There's no other way of describing it. You don't make time for exercise. It's part of your life, period. I go to the gym pretty much every day. If I can't go to the gym, I go for a walk on the beach or do something. Uh, it's what I call a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. It just yes. is a part of your life. Yes, it helps you feel good on the inside. It helps you stand up straight. It helps you in the in, with the aging process. You know, let's let's not beat around the bush here. <laughs> you got to stay strong. You can't lose your muscle as as you age. What can you say to someone who's listening who isn't in exercise? If not, but they know they should be. Who's maybe got ten or more, twenty or more pounds on them? What can you tell them to, to get that first step? Yes, yeah, so it's as simple as taking your first step outside of your door. Go for a walk after dinner or in the morning or whenever. Do something small to start, baby steps. I was very overweight for most of my life. I only lost the weight just before my ex-husband came into my life 20-some years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, and it started with baby steps. I I wanted to feel better. And every day after work in Toronto, I just put on my running shoes and go for a long walk. So again, rather than going into self-pity, mm -hmm. rather than continuing the comfort eating, you took a stand. Yes. I've lost about 50 pounds now. You hear that, listener? And even if you don't have to lose weight, there is maybe something in your life that you're not doing that your heart wants to do. Take a baby step. Think of something right now, that what that baby step can be, and take it. Right, Anna? Absolutely. Get some running shoes and baby steps. So... Running shoes, metaphorically or really? <laughs> Both. So, <laughs> yes. So um, whatever makes your heart sore, really. There's a variety of activities you can do from dancing to, I don't know, hiking. And maybe uh, combining the physical with something that maybe like painting or writing or um, adopting a pet and giving your li life and attention to that if you're alone. Yes. Journaling is a great source of health. But what is uh, journaling? Journaling. Uh, if you don't always have time to make it into therapy, it's like a mini therapy session with yourself. It's a meditation, and it flows out of you as you're writing, and you gain so much clarity from doing that. So, baby steps, taking a stand, feeling the fear and going forward anyway yes noticing if you have any self-pity whatever and realizing what a danger self-pity is recognizing self-pity which is feeling sorry for yourself or feeling sad for yourself indulging in the comfort things if it's comfort eating or drinking uh, or uh, shopping or what have you uh, by the way do you do you drink and do you 
you want to stay young. I know that alcohol isn't the greatest for skin, but you have beautiful skin. Do you take a stand for that? For alcohol? Yes. Absolutely. I love wine. (laughs) (laughs) She takes a stand for alcohol. Yes, and I am a regular white wine drinker. That's all I drink. I have no desire for anything else. It's just what Mm -hmm. I enjoy. I find it relaxing. Um. I find it to be a great icebreaker socially. So for me, it works, but I know how to control it. I know what to do with it. And to me, it's a pleasant thing to do. It enhances my life if used sparingly, basically. If there ever came a time where you decided not to drink at all, would you be comfortable holding a glass, say, with ginger ale or of water? Of course. Yeah, I've done it plenty of times. Yeah. Um, so. But it's... It's it's one of the pleasures of life for me, just like fashion. Right. You mentioned self-pity. Yeah, self-pity is, is a no-go zone for sure. But let me tell you, sometimes you do need to go there. Uh, I think just feelings start to bubble up in us, and they need to be, you need to let the steam off. And if it means having a good cry or something, then go do it. I had a great cry last night. I came home from doing an amazing concert, one of my best ones probably to date. Uh, I was on point, I was funny, the music just flowed, but something on the way home made me go, I don't know what I'm doing. Once again, the fear kicked in, like, where is this all going, blah, blah, blah. And I had probably a 60-minute good cry. That's why my eyes are puffy today. (laughs) But I'm over it. (laughs) Well, I'd like to make a distinction, uh, because I'm so glad you shared this, between self-pity and feeling what we feel. Yes. Self-pity is an indulgence that can last And we have things that happen to us every day that can cause us to feel bad about ourselves or bad about something else. It's important for us at the end of every day to feel what we feel. If we don't feel it, then it remains stuck in our psyche. Mm -hmm. But if we allow ourselves to feel it, whether we have a cry or whether we just go, oh, God, this feels so bad, or we feel uh, shame or anger, to recognize those feelings, to acknowledge them, and allow ourselves to feel them without necessarily acting on them, mm-hmm. but just to feel them and to express them to ourselves, releases them from our psyche. Yes. So you're doing something that I consider to be very healthy, yes. which is to feel what your body is telling you it feels. Yes. That allows you then to take the next step and begin a new day. Mm-hmm. This is a piece of advice that I give my clients all the time. Feel at the end of the day those not just good things, but the things that have you stumped. And then if there's something that needs to be dealt with, then make a decision to take an action, an action and always make that action well thought out so it's not unkind, but that it is proactive and also considers if, you're, if it's with someone else, that person's feelings as well. And that leads us always into my talk about win-win communication. How do you take a stand for yourself? How do you do that at the same time empowering another person? And that's maybe a conversation for another discussion, but if you might have something to say (laughs) about that. Um, I don't know, except that you have to know what you're made of 
every single day of your life on this journey. Know thyself, the ancient Greeks always said. You have to know yourself. You have to open the hood, so to speak, and check in daily. This bothered me. This didn't. That was okay. And very importantly, also forgive yourself for certain mistakes or fumbles or whatever happened. And then you're, you're, you're at peace. You sleep better at night and you have a better day in the morning. When you said last yesterday you did a wonderful concert, mm-hmm. a live concert, and you then had a thought driving home. What was that thought? Can you go back to that thought? Yes, the thought was, oh my gosh, look at me. Look at what I just did. I had a standing ovation before I was even done with the concert. So I realized in that moment, okay, I am doing something right. People are hearing me. This is not made up anymore. This is not in my head. This is not me wanting to be a singer. I am a singer. So what was the scary thought that made you cry? But when am I going to make a living doing this? When is this all really going to happen? It's happening, but it remains to be seen how I can make this into a full-time profession. Not that I need to. I can do other things, but my choice is to make this my profession, whether it's speaking or performing. It doesn't matter. I'd like to do a combination of all of that. Now, is that being... So it's just my frustration that I've worked so hard for this and those pieces have not presented themselves yet. But I'm not going to be a little spoiled kid about it. If that's not where my income is going to come from, then I'll switch gears and do something else. But Will you continue to sing even if it doesn't pay? Yes, absolutely. So you you do know the music business. Oh, You've yes. Learned it. That's so why what, it's so frustrating. What needs to happen next for you to be able to make a living doing this? Well, I realized the last few days that I've never made the grandiose, grandiose ask of the universe. I want to get these kinds of gigs or I want to get corporate events. I never even tried. I, I've just been doing things, and things have been happening for me organically, including all the uh, requests to appear and sing and so on. And they happen at a certain rate, but my point is that I haven't made the ask for them to be occurring on a regular rate and for me to be making this much. And now it's time to, to do that. It's time to kick it into high gear. It's time to make myself known to corporations and booking agents and so on but I've been doing everything else uh, till now on my own organically organically meaning somebody knows about what you do and they'll ask you or you'll say can can I do do this performance but no manager no agent no people basically the people that are around me working on my music are the ones that I have hand selected and chosen for my team but I'm paying them I see. So you are now, as we speak, at a turning point in your, your life, in your career, saying, I am worthy of being paid for what I do, that I have something of value to yes. share, and by gosh, I'm going to make sure that I get paid for that. And you know what? That's going to happen, Anna, because I know you've got this warrior spirit and this determination I see it in your eyes. I hear it in your voice. You 
are going to be paid well for this. Thank you. And thank you so much I'm for being here. I'm not going to cry anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love what you say, your determination. I have no doubt that you will succeed, sweetie. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing. This was very good. This was also a little bit of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. God bless you and God bless you, listeners. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Remember that you're worthy and loved beyond your own understanding. This is a universal truth. It is meant for you to know and experience this truth in your whole being. If you want to learn more about this experience and how to be truly happy, please go to my website, wendyhill.com. Meanwhile, practice warrior spirit and talk with love to that little child within you.